Hello, everybody, and welcome to the final episode, almost, of Keep Em Flying, a Firefly Project. Project? There you go, for trying to be all professional. Project Firefly. Project Firefly. A Firefly podcast. In this episode, we will be looking at the 14th and final episode of Joss Whedon's Firefly, written and directed by the man himself, and all existential and shit. Joining me in this final ever episode of Firefly is, as always, the mighty Paul Pastara. Hello. The equally mighty Bill Robinson. Well, here I am. And a special <laughs> guest. You're going to introduce yourself, Mr. Scott McGregor. Nice to be here again, gents. Thank you very much for having me. McGregor, he's got a big head. Oh, wait. Horrible, Scott. <laughs> hey, McGregor. Uh, like a planetoid. Just in case you hadn't figured it out. Uh, in this particular episode, it's kind of like a Boba Fett bounty hunter shows up and decides to kidnap River. But we'll talk about that more in depth as we go along. Our first object of business, as ever, in Keep and Fly is, do we have any Firefly news? I heard they're going to try and get the cast back together for a new series. Ah, right. Good. Maybe animated. <laughs> Good. I think there's a game. <laughs> I think there's a comic book. Comic books actually have happened. <laughs> I think there's a new comic book. Excellent, good. So some crickets though then, as we uh, we we discussed that Firefly is still dead, unfortunately. And let's be honest, it's probably not coming back. Well, the the fake trailer for the animated series looked good enough that I could see there being a enough of a uh, fan outcry that they might say hey this could work <laughs> and they might try that because i would think you could get the cast together to do voice acting you may not be I able could. to get them physically together to uh you know to actually film shows because they are all active in their own careers that have moved on in the last 15 and they're years. all 12 years older too so yeah, <laughs> yeah. but be. i but i would think you might be able to get them to do their voices a la star yeah. trek the animated series yeah and, and do I, a season I swear that they way. floated that video a year or so ago too i i don't know it was just weird deja vu but i swear i'd seen that before it came out again recently or or somebody at least did some like animated panels you know just just maybe two-dimensional art um but i know it's been talked about before and of course i don't know if it's like i i still can't with all the stuff that's like coming back on netflix and stuff you would think someone would figure there would be a market for it but i don't know if it's just fox being provincial about the rights or or what the hang-up is but you would think there would have been some kind of play in that universe um by now if there was going to be ever so hmm. okay well if we have no news on that happy note yeah yeah and <laughs> and nothing's happening with the game and uh it's all just dead should we get all existential on your ass and talk about objects in space? Yes. Okay. Episode was written and directed, as I've already said, by series creator Joss Whedon. And this one did err, unlike the last three episodes we've covered. Fox originally aired this one on December 13th, 2002. 
As Serenity flies by a planet, River lies in bed listening to not quite audible voices. She arises and takes a walk through the ship's rooms and corridors, encountering her shipmates in varied conversations with each other. Simon is relaxing with Kaylee in the common room, telling her an amusing anecdote about medical school. River suddenly sees them looking at her, with Simon telling her that he'd be there right now, implying she is responsible for taking them away from his successful medical career. She then finds Jane and Shepard Buck in the kitchen, where she hears Jane repeat his confession to Mal about selling out the Tams on Uriel, and Buck mutter an angry but cryptic statement hinting at his less wholesome past. River continues to wander the ship and is moved by the sound of ocean waves as Zoe and Wash passionately kiss on the nearby bridge. Above the cargo bay, as Mal and Dinara discuss her impending departure, River sees the unspoken frustrations over the unrealised relationship. None of the people she encounters are aware of her presence, except when bespeaking directly to her, making it clear that this is River's mind walking telepathically through the ship. Fleeing the intense emotions, River runs down to the unoccupied cargo bay, where she spots a tree branch. She sees herself on leaf-strewn ground and picks up the branch, telling herself it's just an object. Doesn't mean what you think. Suddenly, the real world returns and she finds that she is holding one of Jane's pistols while the crew surrounds her in a panic trying to get her to give up the weapon. Mal takes the gun from her and discovers it is loaded and ready to fire. When Mal admonishes her for handling loaded weapons, River runs off, crying. As Mal comments on how alone they are, a small vessel closes into Serenity, aboard which is a man reviewing wanted bulletins for Simon and River. Meanwhile, the crew discuss the dangers of River's presence on the ship. When Zoe muses whether River has ever handled a gun, Kaylee reluctantly tells everyone about her experience during their assault on Adele Niska's Skyplex, when River killed three attackers with single shots with her eyes closed. The crew begin to speculate that River may be a reader, having psychic powers, and though Simon objects, they begin to question whether she is a danger to them. While talking, the crew are being listened to. Outside the hull of Serenity, the bounty hunter has left his ship and has tapped into the hull, and below the room in the cargo bay, River is listening through the floor plating. Once the crew goes to sleep, the bounty hunter boards Serenity. He encounters Mal, quickly knocks him unconscious, drops him into his cabin, and then locks the rest of the sleeping crew in their sleeping quarters. He surprises Kaylee in the engine room, ties her up, and threatens to rape her if she does not cooperate. Next, he disables Buck with a surprise attack. Simon hears a noise and rises to check on his sister, only to be attacked by the stranger who addresses him by name. The bounty hunter, Jubal Early, waxes philosophically on the nature of things whilst he demands to know where River is. Though Simon refuses to help early, the bounty hunter threatens to kill him and rape Kaylee if he refuses, and the doctor reluctantly agrees. With Simon accompanying him, early checks out the cargo bay and the shuttles. When Anara tries to appeal to Uri's emotional side, he smacks her across the face and then locks her in the shuttle. The two men finally arrive on the bridge where Early settles on a direct threat, announcing loudly to the ship that he will kill Simon if River doesn't reveal herself. River then responds over the ship's intercom, telling Early about how she was unwanted on the ship but could not bring herself to leave, so simply melted away, becoming a part of Serenity. In the engine room, River's voice comes over the intercom, reassuring Kaylee and asking for her help. On the bridge, Early is sceptical about River's claim, but she claims uncanny knowledge of the bounty hunter's own weaknesses. Early gradually starts to accept the possibility that the River has joined with the vessel. Meanwhile, River sends Kaylee, who has freed herself, to unlock the cabins. Zoe begins to prepare an assault, but River insists that they do not use guns, and instead tells Mal of an alternate plan. 
On the bridge, River continues her conversation with Early, needling him about his violent tendencies and his past. Early realises that River is not part of Serenity, but she has managed to sneak onto his ship, which puts him on the defensive. River reassures him that she will go with him as his bounty, as she is a burden on her shipmates and her departure will allow them to get on with their lives. As Early starts to leave, Simon tries to stop him, but in the process is shot in the leg. Jane wakes up and pulls the curtain off his weapons compartment, but just uses it as a blanket and returns to sleep. Leaving Simon in the cockpit, the bounty hunter starts his EVA back to the ship, but finds Mal outside waiting in ambush. Mal shoves Early off into space before welcoming River back aboard Serenity. Later in the infirmary, Simon instructs Zoe as she removes the bullet from his leg. Inara walks away from Mal as he tries to examine her cut lip. In the cargo bay, Jane mocks Buck's failure to defeat Early despite all them years of priest training, and Buck implies that he fought Early and only succumbed after a prolonged fight. Kaylee and River play jacks whilst Kaylee relates a racy anecdote from her past. River picks up and examines the bouncing ball with its swirling, multicoloured surface. Meanwhile, Jubal Early tumbles helplessly through space and says, Well, here I am. And that is how the final episode of Firefly ends. <sighs> oh, isn't that sad? I got a question I want to pose to Paul right off the bat here. Paul, while nope. watching this one, um, did did you think that maybe the show had gone full wacky sci-fi and, and River had actually become part of their ship? I never <laughs> bought into the, to the possibility that it was real. Mm-hmm. But I was curious to try and figure out what the heck was going on with her. I, I didn't have I didn't have her plan figured out. But no, I didn't think she was going to be actually part of the ship. Because this is the one that, above all of the others, I think made me really, really wish that I hadn't seen the movie first. Um, which I think I stated on one of the other shows I was in that I yeah I watched the movie before I even knew Firefly existed. And so when I watched this, I'm like, wow, that you know, because they 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 have set up throughout the series that she has these kind of interesting psychic powers, and and they've hinted at it, but they definitely drove it home in this one. I thought it's more like along the lines of she just had some sort of innate ability to manipulate things and, yeah. you know, that, that she was somehow making it seem like she had had melded. But, yeah, I, I never figured that she physically had. But, you that know, was I mean, all. Just, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really, I mean, I, I don't, Andy, actually, you haven't given your thoughts yet, and this was your uh, reaction. Yeah, I'm sorry about first. No, no, it's okay. Um, I love this one. I really do. I think it's a very different kind of off-topic episode while still very much being an episode of Firefly. So it isn't an off-concept episode for the sake of being off-concept or for the sake of being different. You're actually seeing this one really through the central character, which is Jubal Early. And River's little psychic explorations where she can actually see what the people are really thinking is especially noteworthy when she gets to watch and Zoe, which I thought was a really nice touch, that Wash and Zoe are pretty much who they are. They're not hiding anything. They've got no big, deep, dark secrets. I did like Jubal doing his, his existential question of everything, even though he comes across as a bit of a pretentious asshole. And I think Simon actually thinks that of him. And I love as well that once River starts talking to Jubal at the end and says that she is part of the ship, Simon visibly relaxes and just starts taking the piss, despite the fact Early's still got a gun on him. Because Simon's at the point now where, yeah, she's become part of the ship. Of course she has. 
he's just completely <laughs> lost it at that point. There's Camp just of childhood, yeah. Yeah, I, there's just so many good moments in it. The fact that Jubal early takes Shepard Buck down in exactly the same way he takes Mal down, a trained soldier, quickly, efficiently, and without messing around. The the Jane reaching up to his guns only to cuddle back up in bed. The final bit where he gets River, Mal gets River, and River says, he takes so much looking after, referring to Simon. There's just so many little moments in this one that are really cool, that I really liked. Balanced by that horrible scene in the middle where he actually says to Kaylee, have you ever been raped? And the colour just drains out of her face, which is a great performance from Jules State, and one little tear rolls down her cheek. All It's just, I think it's a really good one. Oddly, I never really rated this one when watching the series before. It was only watching it yesterday for this that I really got sucked into it and I think really appreciated it for the first time. Well, me time. too, Andrew. Me too, actually. Uh, yeah. Not to interrupt, but it really struck me watching it this time around, the performances and everything. Yeah, and it's just how well written it is. How and well I've seen it a dozen it times and yeah, it's for yeah. some reason. I mean, the thing that synopsis really doesn't, when she's picking up the ball at the end and turning it over, that's the planet that the episode began looking at. Yeah, and just so, just the whole way the script's constructed, the way it's written, the way the little bits play off each other as you go through. I I just think this one may be one of the best of the series. I don't know if it's quite as good as um, object uh, not objects in space. Um, the one that we think's really good. Out of gas. Out of gas. Thank you. Next. I was on the edge of my seat watching this episode. <laughs> I was just trying trying to you know like. I talk. I've talked earlier about how uh, this show requires that you pay attention. You can't multitask and get what's going on. Oh, really? This was an episode yeah. that you didn't want to multitask. This was an episode where you, you, if you were multitasking, you would have stopped just to watch what was happening. This this episode felt cinematic to me. In in the way the tension just built and built and built. I would have I, I would have enjoyed seeing this on a big screen, or the bigger the screen, the better. Um, and I really think it's just masterfully written to bring in this bounty hunter. First of all, you, you got more out of this bounty hunter in one episode of the series than we have in, out of Joba Fett, Boba Fett. In, <laughs> Joba in, Fett. In, jo- yeah, I'm combining the two of them. Uh, in Boba Fett in, in how many years? Right. So, you know, it's it's well written that way, but to have a character who's never been on the show become the central character of the episode and yet still have so many character moments within the episode in his interaction with them is just a masterful job of writing. The directing was really well done. The acting was really well done. I'm I'm having a tough time finding any negatives about this episode. So the parts where Joe Early, where he like has those moments where he just laughs, you know, there's those crazy cutscenes. So that I guess is supposed to mean: Are we seeing through River, seeing his insanity inside him? You think? Yeah, I think pretty much the way I took it. Yeah, yeah, they're all River's point of view. Yeah, and he's kind of like just a, even though he appears to have everything wrapped up and he's got ah. his shit together, he's really a nut job inside. Oh no question. Yeah. And and I really also like the fact that we were given significantly more development of River. Again, we still have the movie to go and I don't know what's going to happen in there cuz I have not watched it yet. But 
it would even be more profoundly disappointing to have the series end without having had these river moments because she's such an enigma and to not just give us a little more, which is what this episode does and to, to turn her character all the more relatable humans and sympathetic, which I think this episode does in a strange way too. It would have been just more disappointing, even more disappointing than it is to know that this is the last regular episode. Well, I guess it kind of sees, you know, where a few things in the past where river would suddenly go off the hand, you know, go off the handle or cry or run out of the room or just act strangely is because if she's picking, if we're now seeing what she's picking up from people, no wonder she's appears to be a basket case. Yeah. You, you know, with, with seeing, you know, people are being nice to her on one hand and then she's picking up these stray thoughts under the surface of how they're, they, they, you know, we all have these feelings about other people that we don't necessarily say out loud, but if they're just a thought that runs through your head, you know, that you just say, you know, even with our own loved ones, you'd be like, you asshole, what are you doing? You know, but that's just a straight thought, but she can't filter out what is, you know, like she can't filter out what's real and what's stray thoughts. Which imagine what she's been picking up from insidious uh, shepherd book with dangerous hair. I mean, <laughs> It adds a whole new layer to to why she's afraid of the hair, I think. Uh, <laughs> well, because early E even says... Um, that's no what, shepherd. Yeah, that's no shepherd. That ain't a shepherd. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm, sorry. Curiouser and curiouser. So there's all that little, more little character bits that have been dropped out, and it's it's very sad that this is the last one. <sighs> yeah, I often got, um, bef- uh, you know, because I saw this last one and then I remember seeing the movie and then um, this isn't a spoiler, but there's a character somewhat like um, Juba Early. Yeah. And not just because they're both played by black gentlemen, but, but the, they're they're alike in certain ways, but they are different characters and having seen them so far apart from each other, like from when I last saw the series, then I saw the movie and then, you know, I would get confused. I'm like, no, no, wait a minute. Was that, did they find him and he came back in this and they just got a different actor, but no, it's a different, it's a different character, which Paul, you'll, you'll be able to easily see what I'm talking about when we get to the movie. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that I'm going to, since I'm going to see the movie close in time to seeing this ending, I may not have the confusion that you had. Yeah. And plus, I, especially now that you've explained it to me. <laughs> True. It it, it's, I find it so much easier to be insightful when people tell you what's going on. <laughs> knowing is half the battle. Someone else knowing is two-thirds of the battle. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I actually was a little confused when I first saw this Um because as I said, I, I had watched the movie first. And so when he first showed up, I'm like, well, is that, wow, is that this guy? You know, is he in the series too? And obviously that's made clear that it's not very quickly. But I also, I mean, I watched the series originally um, in the DVD order that you guys are, are doing the show. And, and so I thought this was like just the perfect, you know, segue into the movie. Um, as far as where they have left, you know, River and how they've developed her. I mean, this was the obvious 
obviously supposed to be the end, the, the last episode. Am I correct in that? I mean, and it wasn't, though. It was like uh, eight or nine, wasn't it, originally? Yeah, they showed the pilot after they showed this. Yeah, so, I mean, this this really wouldn't... I, I imagine out of all of them, this one felt very out of place <laughs> in the original airing of the series. But did they know when they filmed that they would that this was the end? No, because wasn't... It was, the, it was the last it was episode the message. filmed was the message. Yeah. So this right, had already been right. shot. So they must have been shooting them out of order as well then, because yeah. this follows directly on from Heart of Gold, which wasn't screened. Because Inara decides to leave at the end of Heart of Gold, and that's followed up in a scene at the beginning of this episode. Although, when Fox heard this episode, that scene was different. It was Inara threatening to leave... Because Mal wasn't finding her decent clients, so they reshot it slightly uh, to accommodate the fact that they were her in this one, but hadn't shown Heart of Gold. I see, yep. But the DVD and the Fireflax versions, Fireflax, <laughs> Netflix versions are the original that Whedon wanted to, to uh, in the order that they heard. So I don't know if that scene is on the DVD anywhere as a deleted scene, it may be, because I've been watching these on Netflix. I think it probably is. It's been a while since I dove into the extras on my DVD set, but I'm sure it is. I think I have to buy the DVD set now. I think it's... it's uh, Well, Whedon did a commentary on this one that I really meant to watch before we sat down, but I just didn't get the time to do it. Because um, I, like, I love the opening to this one, where you've got them all purred up in the different purrs on the ship, which alone says an awful lot about it. So you've got Mal with Inara, Kaylee with Simon, and look at the way they're both relaxed on that seat. Yeah, that's that's they're a couple in yeah. every way except actually acknowledging that they're a couple. The way she's stretched out with her legs over him and he's tickling her feet for her and just stroking them. They're very close, even mm-hmm. though Simon's too stupid to see how close. <laughs> and then you've got Jane and um, Jane and Book doing weights, eating, sorry, they do weights later on, don't they? They've made a connection. Who'd have seen, who would have thought that? Why? So the connection there is obviously there's something going on in Book's past where he relates more to Jane. And then obviously you've got Zoe and Wash up in the bridge trying their best to make babies after the the last episode. So I thought the purrings of the characters was very interesting as well. As well as the way it's directed when River sees the thoughts and what they're actually thinking. Yeah. That's very insightful character work. And then the only problem I had with it, and it's not really a problem because they don't have to explain everything, is where did she get the gun from? Yeah, true. Yeah, they never do address that, do they? No, they never explain where they get the gun from. And Jane is adamant that he doesn't leave his weapons out and loaded. Or out of his cabin. I presume he locks his cabin. Because we've seen that his his guns aren't located in a lockable cabinet. They're just behind that curtain. But I presume he means he locks his cabin. And he's right. Other than the sidearm. Could she have have kept that gun from that other episode? Well, is it the same one? I I don't know. I think it might be. Yeah, it may be the same weapon. So, yeah, it is entirely possible. It's the same gun that she used in the episode that... Kaylee ends up telling them about because yeah it was it does look like the same weapon looking at the the stills in the companion book hmm. yeah. yeah I never really gave it much thought actually you know but... 
Um, I just want to, I'll just give some quick impressions if you guys don't mind. Because as I said, I just rewatched this again. And for some reason, it like vaulted this to my, probably one of my, maybe my favorite episode. Or mm-hmm. Definitely one of the top three. Um, just because of the performances. As you said, Andy, just Jewel State in that one scene was just like heart crunching. And um, Richard Brooks, the guy who played Jubal, just brought it and and just some great moments. It was definitely a great episode for Sean Meyer, and he he got some really awesome, you know, comedic lines um, in the middle of you know this very tense situation that's going on. But just the absurdity of it all, and and said once River became the ship, um, that was just perfect. You know, the comment about it's like, yeah, my my sister's a ship. We had a complicated childhood. It just really really funny stuff <laughs> and uh yeah obviously the the we've had hints of uh shepherd books you know shady past before in the series but nothing quite as jarring as as this little insight to to him um you know almost shades of niska you know mm. um we obviously read some of the same stuff niska does as we've learned earlier in the show so no surprise i guess but uh, that, that had to bake your noodle a little bit too, Paul, uh, that we haven't really seen. We we know he has secrets, but we haven't seen kind of evil Shepherd book yet. So No. And, and, I mean, yeah, th- there's, there's never been a point in this series where you thought Shepherd book was uh, a devout, you know, <laughs> devout religious man his whole life. You right. know that he's been through, you know, the ringer at some point, and it's kind of pushed him over to that. And you don't even know to what extent he actually buys into the whole religious aspect or if it's mm-hmm. just a cover. Yeah. I don't think it. I think at this point, Book entirely believes. I think religion at some point saved his life and changed who he was. And I, I think he's a 100% convert. But I That's think what, the way what, I take it as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you've been given anything overtly to say that that's reality yet. Still only shoots people in the kneecaps, as far as we know. So I think that's that's just the way he's performed it. But I think yeah. they've been very, very limited on how much they've given you as to his I background. Think he's, and, I think he's more trying to atone for something he's done. Yeah, that is, makes sense. Or he's just been through some sort of experience at the end that totally pushed him to this side. There's something there. There's going to be, you know, there will be some sort of major experience that will be revealed. Uh, I'm guessing it's not in the movie since, you know, you guys don't seem to have any further insight into it. But I think had the series gone on, there was a point where we would have had some sort of flashback that would have told you what exactly turned him from what he was to what he is now. It's a comic book. (laughs) Or maybe in the comic book. I don't know. I don't. I haven't done anything. You know, I've watched these episodes, and that's all I've done. Yeah. And I saw part of the animated trailer, but Bill warned me not to actually listen to what they're saying or anything. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Just don't pay attention to it. I just saw. I just saw some of the images. I didn't. I haven't like listened to what they're talking about or anything. So I'm. I am going into the movie virtually spoiler free. Cool. So when are you going to watch the movie? Now, uh, 
I'm inclined to watch it today. <laughs> oh boy! I don't know if I will have the chance to watch it today, oh. but I expect that before the weekend is over, I will have succumbed to it. So you got a copy of it already? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. You gotta watch it, dude. You gotta watch it, and then you gotta. You're probably gonna have to call us. <laughs> well, have as, a as instant you, reaction. You know, I, 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 I've agreed. You know, my son and I are gonna watch it together, and my kids are with me every other week. So. They're here for the next two days, and then they go over to their mom's for a week. Mm. So I pretty much have to watch it this weekend, or I have to wait till the end of next. You know, till I have to wait a week to watch it because I won't watch it without him. Tie him to a chair if you have to. Get it done. (laughs) Oh, I don't think he. You know, he hasn't seen it either. Yeah. So and and he's been kind of anxious to watch it. So I don't think I'm gonna have a tough time convincing him. But we're going to a ball game tonight, so. Let's got to see if we have time to watch it before that. Plus, I have a, sh- I have a movie to watch for Is It Yours, uh, an Is It Yours episode I'm recording tomorrow. Uh, even uh, Summer Glow, man, this was, this was one of her best episodes, and, and she really got the chance mm-hmm. to choose some, uh, choose some scenery, if, at least through her voice work. Uh, but, uh, so, just... you know, I'm sorry, finish what you're saying. Oh uh, no! Go ahead. I, I, it's, I, I was totally unfamiliar with Summer Glau until she showed up on Sarah Connor, The Terminator Chronicles. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was my first experience with her at all as an actress. And I remember people, you know, treating her like, "Oh wow, she's on this show." And I kept thinking, "Who is she?" You know, I really hadn't had any any exposure to her at all. So now seeing her, you know, where she basically started out, it's it's very interesting and i can see why they would have been so enamored with her going into that series and it's interesting that she played a terminator you know basically emotionless and all after this uh but i i would say this you know this was at least through the 14 episodes this was clearly you know the highlight of her performances Mm. i think she she really you know carried most of this episode i think the reason this show has resonated with people so much is that I've seen a lot of these actors do other things and I, they just have never, it doesn't seem like anyone has been able to squeeze the performance out of them that Joss Whedon was able to. And they all just, they're all pretty much unknowns when they, you know, except for Shepard book basically and Adam Baldwin, um, you know, basically all but unknowns um, when they got the gig and they just, they all brought their a game to every episode and it's, I've seen, you know, Summer Glow and other stuff, and I've seen Nathan and everyone else. Nathan's usually pretty consistent. Um, but, I mean, I've seen some of the other actors just not not bring it as much in, in other projects. And it's, it just speaks to, you know, why the cast love this show so much and why the fans love it so much, too. Because it's just the performances are real and in the moment, and you, you believe what's going on. You're totally sucked into the world. I, I, throughout this series, I've gotten a kick out of Ron Glass as Shepard Book only because he is the one who I was familiar with. Yeah, and you know, comparing him to the role he played on Barney Miller, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's just you know night and day. Yeah, and the only other thing off the top of my head that I can think of was he was with Demond Wilson on a uh, a reboot of The Odd Couple, which only went a few episodes. Yeah, but you know, very very different, and otherwise. You know, I had some familiarity with Nathan Fillion, but it's from all stuff that he did after this. Mm-hmm. And Summer Glau, obviously, same thing. 
and the other actors were well, no, you know, um, what's called Inara's obviously also somebody who I've seen a lot of since. I have not seen too much of Zoe and Wash. Well, Gina Torres was on. Uh, she was on Xena. She was on Hercules: A Legendary Journeys. Cleopatra twenty five twenty five. She was also on Alias. Yep, she was. Um, wow. All shows uh, that I never watched. Angel. Yep. She was on Angel after Firefly, though. Mm-hmm. Um, she was on 24, the third season, and she was on The Shield. I I did, seen of of all of that, the only one I watched is 24, Hannibal. and I don't specifically remember her from it. I don't watch any of those. <laughs> she, she popped up on Hannibal as Lawrence Fishburne's wife for a while. Isn't she actually Lawrence Fishburne's wife, though? I don't know. Yeah, she is, isn't she? Lucky yeah. bastard. Yeah, because yeah, we mentioned that uh, last last time we recorded that she was actually reason she wasn't in it that much is because she was off on her honeymoon. Aw. Cool. Lucky man. Good choice, and Larry. she's in that film called Serenity, which Paul will That's be watching. That's true. That's what weekend. I hear. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? It's just sad because we don't want it to end. No. Well, well we've so got we've got one we'll last have serenity. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Bogart. We'll always have Bill's Australian accent. <laughs> yeah, but that's on another show. But it lives on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah. this this by definition is a maxi series. You know, we're, well, what are we going to do? We're going to finish this episode. I'm holding off doing the ratings just because I don't want to end. <laughs> we're going to do this. We're going to do Serenity, and then we're going to do like a recap episode. Is that yeah, the plan? If maybe you, oh. cover any email or anything. Any Firefly news that may suddenly pop up, yeah. And then that'll be it. Then we'll mm. close this one into a nice, neat package, and we'll move on to our next project. But think of this. You could actually you, you could review King. the, uh, what is the documentary um, that they made? Oh, We Did the Impossible. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know. I always do that just to stretch it out one more one more episode. <laughs> oh, what's that? I don't think I've seen that. It was on Netflix. It was a yeah. documentary about just before the film came out about hmm. um, bringing the show back for a movie. It's uh, it's good. Adam Baldwin narrates it. It's quite enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do do we not have anything else on this? Because it is quite a deep episode to explore. I love the cinematography and and what they were doing with River and. Mm. and and the whole scene of just the branch turning into the gun was, like, really brilliant, in my opinion. And she's just such a striking, you know, and when, when she's standing up on top of the bars, like, anytime they have her in some kind of dancer pose or something, it's just such a striking image. Mm. That's why yeah. she was so great in the part. Joss know. is very good at using her dancer's physicality. The yeah. scene where she yeah. bends over to pick up the the branch yeah shows how yeah. flexible she is because she was a ballerina yeah yeah Love he used that to <laughs> to its greatest extent and even more so in the movie you're about to watch paul there's lots of plenty of physicality for river in the movie oh no yeah spoilers there um but yeah and just and, and as you said andy just the the hilarity of jane being completely out of it you know for the whole for the whole episode and um, you know Mel being pretty ineffectual, um, but once the team you know gets together and and River rallies everyone, it was just such a flip on the dynamic of no one else has control and and River's in charge of things, and it was just brilliant how you know 
this this girl that's been damaged through the whole series is is the one who steps up and and saves the day finally because of all the essentially because of the thing you know that everyone is creeped out by her you know uh her her psychic powers essentially you know and her ability to to use this training that she doesn't even realize she has most of the time from whatever they did to her and uh you know like the gun shooting scene um that she <laughs> she steps up when she needs to and, and saves the crew that she's not just a mindless you know weapon but she's a, a, a weapon with uh who cares for their the people that she's with so yep that's it i guess i got nothing else <laughs> okay should we rate it then Let's. Okay, I think that's an exceptionally good idea. Five. Absolutely five. Yep. Five floating bounty hunters. <laughs> five <laughs> floating bounty hunters. Four high caliber branches. Three. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh. oh, so it's up to me to be the one who brings down the room by rating it as a five. Yay. <laughs> That works. Yeah, this this was that. just you know it was awesome. It was just like I said, it was edge of the seat, riveting. Yeah, didn't just didn't want it to end. It was great, but you know what comes to mind to me is I start wondering about this episode, about the comic book series, and then about the movie, and I wonder what would Blaine say. <laughs> Serenity, those left behind was a three-issue miniseries that takes place between the final episode of the series, which is Objects in Space when you view them in the proper order, and the movie, which explains some of the status quo changes that took place in between. And before getting to the contents of the series proper, I do have a story to tell about how the series changed the local comic market in my hometown. You see, Nathan Fillion and I are both from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. While I still live here, Fillion left to pursue his career, but he still comes back to visit family often enough. The first issue of this miniseries came out during one of those visits. The three-issue series had three covers per issue, so that each of the nine core characters got a cover of his or her own. The first comic shop Fillion went to, Warp 1, when it was still located on White Ave, realized that most retailers had underestimated demand for the title, and was pricing the issues around $20 each, with a cover price of $2.99 US. Fillion didn't have that much Canadian cash on him, but wanted a copy of the comic with his likeness to bring home to his mother. Warp One wouldn't negotiate, even when other customers in the store pointed out that he was on the cover and was looking to pay cover price on the day of release. Fillion left upset without the issue and blogged about it. Another retailer named Happy Harbor, which was then located a few blocks away, off White Ave, stepped up and made sure his mother had copies of all three issues in all three covers, each free of charge. Moreover, the public outcry caused a boycott of Warp 1 and a migration of a lot of their former customers over to Happy Harbor. This lasted a few weeks before Fillion felt compelled to blog again, asking people to end the boycott, as Warp 1 had apologized, and he you know, felt, okay, we've won, they've learned their lesson, we can let it go. At the time, the story seemed to end there, but it didn't. Now, for those not familiar with Edmonton, White Ave is the artistic center. It's a great location for a comic retailer. There's often street sales for local artists who do paintings or sculptures or whatnot. It's in walking distance of the University of Alberta. It's very popular with the politically left-wing crowd and home to one of the world's biggest annual street performer festivals and so on and so forth. It's just a great location for something like this. 
Warp One's landlord felt that this whole fiasco was just one more reason not to work with them. So when Warp One's lease expired and the owners went to renew, they learned that renewal was not an option and that their landlord had already offered their prime real estate to Happy Harbor, who happily took it. So Warp One ended up going to Happy Harbor's old space a few blocks away from White Ave. I don't have direct access to the financial records for either retailer, of course. But if you look at all outward appearances, well, you get the definite impression that Happy Harbor is continuing to grow and thrive. And I've heard nothing but them treating their customers with respect and having experts on staff who can help you find the kind of product you're looking for. While Warp One doesn't make this a company priority. Some individual staff members do, to be sure, but it's not consistent. Anyway, that was just a little aside about what this series did in the local community, which is also Nathan Fillion's local community. And from here on to the actual comics. So all three issues were plotted in combination by Joss Whedon and Brett Matthews. Brett Matthews is better known as the screenwriter who scripted Heart of Gold, the second last episode of the series, again when watched in the proper order. Matthews also scripted all three issues after he and Joss Whedon hammered out the plot. The art is by Will Conrad. The colors are by Laura Martin. Letters by Michael Heisler. It was edited by Scott Alley, with assistant editors Matt Dreyer and Dave Marshall throughout the series. Cover dates ranged from July to September 2005, and each issue was actually released on the first Wednesday of the month from July to September in 2005. Now, as I said, each of the three issues had three different covers because... Joss Whedon thought it'd be cool to see some of his favorite artists draw his favorite characters, and he worked hard to make that happen. So issue one came out with a Malcolm Reynolds cover by John Cassidy, an Anara Sarah cover by J.G. Jones, and a Jane Cobb cover by Brian Hitch, all of which had colors by Laura Martin. Issue two had a Shepard Dariel book cover by Tim Bradstreet, with colors by Grant Golish. There was a Kaylee cover with art by Joe Chen and colors by Richard Isanova, and a Zoe Washburn cover, with pencils by Joe Casada, inks by Danny Miki, and colors by Richard Isanova. Issue 3 had a River Tam cover, with art by Josh Middleton, a Simon Tam cover by Lionel Francis Yu, and a Hoban Washburn, a.k.a. Wash cover by Sean Phillips. All three of Issue 3's covers were colored again by Laura Martin. The series starts off with all nine crew members together. Shepard Dariel Book is preaching to a flock as a distraction, while Mal, Zoe, and Jane tend to a bank robbery. Things don't go according to plan, as always, and they end up losing the take but surviving with their lives, due in part to Book's decision to borrow a getaway vehicle without the owner's permission. Once aboard ship and safe, they are contacted by Badger, who's heard about a possible job recovering gold from the site of the Battle of Sturgis, which was home to a major loss for the Browncoats during the war. The crew take the job, frustrating Anara because it's delaying her departure even more, and conversation about that point leads Book to punch Mal. The crew of the Serenity doesn't realize that the men with the hands of blue have orchestrated the whole thing. They're even working with Lawrence Dobson, last seen getting shot in the head by Mal at the end of the original two-hour pilot. It seems Dobson lost an eye but kept his life, and is carrying quite the grudge. Serenity arrives at the coordinates that Badger provided, but instead of finding gold, they find Dobson and his crew. They end up shooting it out, first hitting Dobson in his good eye, and then 
Mal shoots him again, just to be sure, while Zoe and Jane take out all of his men in the process. They escape intact, still without any actual payoff. After returning to the ship, Inara finally leaves, which we have known has been coming since Heart of Gold. Shepard Book also leaves the ship, afraid that the fact that he punched Mal will mean as little to him as it seems to do to Mal if he stays there much longer. So finally, the men with Hands of Blue make contact with a mysterious new potential ally whom we will only meet properly in the first few minutes of the theatrical film. The quality of the series itself isn't bad. If anything, it suffers from being too short. It can be easily read in half the time it takes to watch an episode of the series, and feels rushed because it contains enough plot points to fill a complete episode. So nothing has as much room to breathe as I would have wanted. As an adaptation of live action, it's hard to get truly satisfying art. When characters are created in the comics, we tolerate greater variation. For example, Peter Parker drawn by Steve Ditko is not Parker drawn by either Amita, by Tom McFarlane, by Ross Andrew, or by any of the other artists on the title. But we can accept them all as Peter Parker. When drawing a character we know as a specific human actor, slight variations that we accept from the characters created for the comic page become glaring problems. There's a number of panels where every character looks right, and there's a number of panels where every character looks wrong. To be fair to Will Conrad, though, I didn't recognize Lawrence Dobson by name when he was introduced in issue two, but his artworks looked so much like actor Carlos Jacket that I made the connection before it was spelled out in the text. If anything, the art only suffers from squeezing five issues of plot events into three issues worth of pages. So in the end, both the art and the script end up feeling rushed. The confrontation with Dobson is particularly short, although to be fair, it was still be longer than the first confrontation between him and Mal. All in all, those who are already fans of the property would likely enjoy checking it out if you can find it for reasonable prices, but if you pay much more than cover price, you may not feel it was worth it. If you don't track it down, you likely won't feel like you've missed out on all that much. The main thing here is just to understand the change in status quo. It's not surprising when the movie starts that Anara is gone because you know, we knew that was coming for the last couple episodes of the series. Although Shepard Book's departure would be more of a surprise if you haven't already read this. So that's what I had to say about these comics, and now it's back to your regular crew. Okay, well, that's it. Would no, but it's not it, because we're going to be back quite. again, and what are we going to do? Oh, yeah, next time, against all the odds, Serenity will fly one more time. The movie Serenity will be our next and final episode of Keep Em Flying. Well, no, maybe. I don't think it is going to be our final episode. There is some debate over... <laughs> oh, thank you. There is some debate on that score. That's and then right. links to the, the saga cell at the beginning. Just, you know, whatever. Okay, it may not be the final episode. <laughs> I don't want to go away. No, we don't want to. I've never done a final episode of a podcast before. Have you not? I've done loads. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, we see how long yeah, yeah. yeah. Every other week you do the final episode of <laughs> Hey Kids farewell Come. To, yeah. The farewell tour every two weeks. So. Yeah, every two weeks we still do farewell. Um, you you and Aunt, you and Michael are like the Rolling Stones of podcasting. Yeah, we're like the damned. Yeah, we're back. This is it. No the, more. The reunion tour has lasted longer than the actual musical that, career. Yeah. I remember back in the 80s joking about the Stones saying, oh, yeah, 
The Steel Wheels tour. Yeah, the Steel Wheelchairs. And they're still touring. That's when I went to see them, man. And it's like, yeah, this is going to be my last chance, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was in 1986. Yeah, stood in line for like all night <laughs> to get tickets for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that, that, that is the series finish, though. Yes, yes that is this the is the end of the, of the series. series. We have at least the movie and maybe a, a wrap up, maybe. Mm. So we'll see what happens. So in the meantime, that, see you next time. Much, uh, Goodbye. Forward to listening to him, folks. So thanks for having me on. No worries. Bye. Keep them flying. A Firefly podcast is a two true freaks presentation and is hosted by Shepard Bill Robinson, Paul Spataro, and Andrew Leyland. All the music and sound clips used in the show is copyright Fox Broadcasting and is available to buy on the Firefly soundtrack by Greg Edmondson. If you like to buy that soundtrack, maybe you could do it through the Amazon link that is on the 2TrueFreaks.com website. It costs you nothing extra, but throws a few pennies in our tip jar, which helps us to continue to produce content like this. Every episode of Keep Flying is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. And remember, find a ship, find a crew, keep flying. And there's total dead silence on the air. Well, we're just, I'm just smiling, biting my lip, so I, I don't want to spill yeah. anything. <laughs> Andy, I think, has gone into a tea induced coma or something. Andy's working on his Australian accent. Is Andy with us? <laughs> I don't think so. He's on mute. He's going to the bathroom. <laughs> Let's pick <laughs> on him. He's supposed to send a, he put, send a BRB. Hi. Hey. Oh, oh Andy's here. <laughs> Hello. It's me, Andy Leyland. He'll never hear this because he doesn't listen to the shows he's on. <laughs> he edits this one, so I think he's going to. He, he just said piss off. I edit it. <laughs> I guess there's no sound. Can you not hear me? No. No, we can't. Actually. Andy, can you hear mute, me? Mute button. No, we can't hear you at all, sir. Mm. Hello. In space, no one can hear Andy talk. In space, no one can hear Andy scream. He's not I'm right here. <laughs> no, this is unfortunate. <laughs> Our host is going to grab them and drag them off. Right. Can you hear that? Oh, yes. There he is. Right. For some reason, Skype has kicked my blue snowball microphone off. Huh. And oh, yeah, that happened to me too uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and it's not in the drop down menu for me to be able to pick it. So I'm actually through the laptop microphone at the minute. Mm, it's that cheap right. microphone that, that Steve bought. Yeah, so I don't know why it's kicked that off, but that's very disappointing. See, that that's, you know, each of us keeps having Skype issues. Last week it was me, and I think you had some issues before, Paul. Mm. It's the integration of River with the uh, Skype software. That's. <laughs> Causing a ghost in the yeah. machine. Well, we'll we'll that. live with it if uh, if if it still sounds all right. Because I don't yeah, want I don't want to stop Skype at this point and restart no. everything. No, no, it's it's slightly more hollow than normal, but it's fine. All right, okay. So we'll stick with Skype, that. Skype, and River would be Skiver. <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> We're on Skiver. <laughs> <laughs>